Drunk Mythology Friends. I'm Kate. I'm Jen. And I'm the other Jen. And we're the Drunk, Drunk Mythology, Mythology Gals. 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 Oh, I ended up <laughs> oh. on the same beat as you this time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was oh, man. I was like, a I pounced. That was. I I had to speed up. It was close. You said the whole thing in like half of the time it takes to say me to say the phrase. I I was waiting like a leopard. You both were like (laughs) waiting on each other. And I'm like drunk mythol. And I'm just waiting. I'm like, are they going to jump in? And then suddenly. (laughs) Every week is an adventure. It is. It is. Yeah. So, so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> this week, um, we're doing something I've been wanting to do for a while. <gasps> Thor goes fishing? No. <laughs> She's still not letting me. <laughs> I should have kept my mouth shut about that one. <laughs> it's a series uh, I've been wanting to do called Asshole Philosophers. <laughs> because if, every, every philosopher? if they are the foundation of western civilization then they have some serious explaining to do all right yeah yeah so every so often uh you know i'll profile a greek or roman philosopher who may have meant well but who was probably just an asshole who liked arguing and making things difficult for everyone i think i work with some of these <laughs> Most likely. I mean, hey, if if you work with someone named Anaxagoras, you know what? you're working with an asshole philosopher. <laughs> okay. That's quite so, the name. And everything came to just came together, like including the fact that yesterday, February 15th, was the anniversary of the death of Socrates. Oh. He died the day after Valentine's Day. Yes. And it's the was there 2000- Valentine's Day already? No, I don't no. know the the overlap. Nope. nope. Okay. Nope. All right. And this Saint was Valentine's the two thousand two hundred forty first anniversary yeah. of his death. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to check your math on that. I'm just going to no, give it to you. No, because he died in three ninety nine, and this is twenty twenty two. I used a calculator. Okay, and it was BC. Yes. Okay. All right. So it was Which, just addition. Yeah. I could do that much. It's when <laughs> okay. you get into subtraction and division and shit like that. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, so, okay. yeah, we're going to talk about Socrates and why oh, I may have harbored a faint flickering of respect for him in my youth. And now I'm just like, fuck Socrates. So <laughs> before we get started... <laughs> <laughs> Sacrifices to Odin this week? Anybody want to go first? I mean, I've been sacrificing a lot of like drinks to him and he's right. been pleased. Like, yeah. Cuz like Jen and I've been, you know, talking and like drinking those, without me. I know. Those, I know. But those but those photos go through. If they're not about him, they do not go through. Right. And it's getting weird now. Like he's now also tried to take over Discord and shut that down. Yeah. So I don't know. It's bizarre. We've mentioned this, that we're collaborating on some cocktails. Right, right. Represent some of the different Norse characters. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, every time we're working on one that's representing Odin and we text pictures back and forth, no problem. But as soon as we start trying to text pictures related to somebody else's cocktail, everything shuts down. <laughs> it does. And like every time, like this isn't a joke, like multiple times, multiple yeah, sessions, like over days. This is not a joke. <laughs> going on for, it's probably pushing three weeks now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is. Like that- he is invested. <laughs> well, you know, that that cocktail book better be hit like number one or Lord knows what's going to happen. Like, right? you, well, you know, the, the ball is in his court. If he wants to help that happen. Yeah. Ooh. You know. Ooh. <laughs> I'm not sure you should have said that. I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. Yeah. No, I don't want a deal. Odin. No deals with you. Yeah. No deals. No I take deals. it back. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so if he edging wants away. To- if he wants to do anything, that's just all on him. Exactly. That's his right. choice. Yeah. So, I'm not making a request. Um, my offering to Odin is the fact that I'm a little under the weather with a bug. And yeah. 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 Not fun. Yeah. But. Yeah. And uh, I guess my offering <laughs> is the same as OG. It's all of these <laughs> drinks, these non-vodka drinks I've been having to consume. I know. Oh, man, the sacrifices. Sacrifices. Like, I had my very first gin and tonic. I've never never had one. It's kind of like ever until this past, like, past week and a half or something. I can't remember Mm -hmm. when I made the first one. Like three days ago. (laughs) God, uh, like, coming from New England for, you know, having spent, like, 20 years there, I'm like – Gin and tonic is like the thing you learn to drink after mother's milk. <laughs> you know, once you go to the Polo Ralph, Ralph Lauren store and, oh, right. you know, you're sitting on Newbury Street at, you know, Stephanie's, you have a TNT, a Tanqueray and tonic. Oh, okay. A TNT. Well, I have to give a, a shout out to Kim. She gave some good recommendations of some nice middle of the road gin that you know, isn't bad and it's not going to break the bank. So I went and with, it's good for mixing. I went with Bombay Sapphire and I'm like, perfect. Oh, this is, this is very nice. I, yeah, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> it's drinkable. Yeah. So speaking of drinks, I, uh, I'm pulling an OG. I have tepid water. <laughs> yeah. It's tax season, isn't it? Like, that's why you're just like. <laughs> you, Yeah, you because that's actually the reason is because I'm going to try to get a, one of the, the tax returns done tonight after we finish <laughs> recording. <laughs> oh. See, now you understand me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I still don't. But that's okay. <laughs> um, I've got. Uh, Powerade because I'm having hydration issues <laughs> thanks to the bug. Oh yeah. right, yeah. So me and my blue Powerade. It's uh, not yeah. red. Green is the better. Red choice. is superior to all. No, no green. Are we doing this again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having deja vu. Haven't we? Yeah, had we this? I will <laughs> always fight you on this. <laughs> I will. I will die on the hill of <laughs> red. Powerade and Gatorade. <laughs> I'm and it's just a sad saying, hill, but you know what? 
That's, you know what? It's the best hill. That's your your choice. That, and you're wrong, a, but that's No, that's okay. I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> In fact, let's take this. What's OG and, drinking? Yeah. Well, uh, let me guess. It's tepid water. Yeah, tepid water. In the but flamingo cup? No, it's in the Minnie Mouse cup. Oh my I god! Actually- <laughs> okay, so stay. Okay, I actually had it ready, and I meant to do it because I heard you yelling at me. But then I got sidetracked to get <laughs> words done, and so I'm actually reusing the same cup I had yesterday. <laughs> I oh damn! Yeah. Um, I don't. <laughs> that's is this like? <laughs> what is this doing to your Swiss? like jeans this is, and this is you my, can't see it but she's twitching well, i it i am i mean this is i am half american so i'm letting my redneck side come out oh shit there goes half i the just audience. spit in it a couple times and wipe it out and it's clean it's all my germs yeah yeah <laughs> i mean again i was born in indiana like this yeah is, so was i people. yeah so you understand i do we, we do have that yeah blood in us yeah you i know, mean it's the, there is the sniff test Plates, laundry. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Somebody do the disclaimer. Move this on. <laughs> okay. Do not drink and drive cars, chariots, eight legged horses. I guess red power aid because it's disgusting. We do not want that. <laughs> and yeah, whatever else we were talking about, it's been too many things. Yeah. Well, with that. Uh, let's get started. A long time ago, when the world was young. So the red versus green Gatorade uh, <laughs> argument is actually not a bad segue into oh a discussion of Socrates, because he was basically known for being able to take any argument and push it to the limit and flip it on its head and force you to admit you were wrong. Wow. And that he was right, which Oof. made him an asshole. Yeah. Isn't that what you do to me every day? <laughs> no, only on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. <laughs> the rest of the week. <laughs> no. <clears throat> um, so I'm going to mostly focus on his life because talking about his philosophy is um, really unwieldy. And also that would make it a multi-part series on Socrates. And I don't want to spend that much time on him because he's an asshole. Oh, oh thank and, you. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, I'll put bits and pieces in here as you know, kind of illustrating why he was a jerk and why people didn't like him. And, you know, he has some interesting moments, but <clears throat> he, upon rereading a lot of his stuff, I'm like, I he, no, he does not deserve to be the father of uh, Western thought. Oh, so, okay. He really doesn't. So Socrates supposed started life in as a uh, nice middle-class kid from the suburbs of Athens. He was born either 470 or 469 BCE, oh, high lack of record keeping, to Sophroniscus, the stonecutter, and Fanarete, the midwife. Wait, so what? 
The his midwife? dad was a stonecutter and his okay. mother was a midwife. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yep. Got it. So, you know, both parents, nice, solid, middle-class jobs. Um, his father was a freeborn citizen, so as was his mother, but um, because his father was, this makes him a citizen of Athens. Okay. So <clears throat> I have included a map. Again, you can see the tip of the boot of Italy. Mm-hmm. And you can see Greece, and towards the right edge of the map, there's Athens right there. Okay. And then if you zoom in, or if you scroll down to the next, it's a zoom in on where Athens is. And he was born in a suburb of Athens called Alopes, or Alopisi. I'm not sure how Mm -hmm. to pronounce it, and I don't want to say alopecia, because that really is, yeah. So far, so normal, right? You know, middle-class parents, suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. So his dad dies somewhere between 424 BCE. Again, hi, we don't have any record keeping. Um, And I think it's probably well before 424 BCE because that would make... Socrates 46-ish, and it would make his mom probably around 60-ish. And in that case, uh, you know, after his dad dies, he uh, she remarries some guy named Charidemus, and they have a son named Patrocles, who's Socrates' half-brother, but he's not important, doesn't do anything, and doesn't piss anyone off, so let's forget him. Aww. <laughs> Nice guys always finish last. (laughs) Exactly. So when his dad died, uh, Socrates inherited a little bit of land from his dad, and he probably had other people work on it, which was pretty common at the time. And he probably also learned stone cutting from his father. And so between, you know, picking up stonemason work and uh, a little income from the farm, he was you know, uh, pretty much set for life financially, even if he didn't do a whole lot of stone cutting work, which he didn't. Um, again, so far, so normal, you know? Yeah. Career. Yeah. So far, no signs of assholeness. And, you know, (laughs) and he has like a little complicated family life, me now as a stepdad and a half brother and yeah, you know, sounds pretty modern. Yeah. So growing up, Socrates would have attended the gymnasium. And remember that from the Olympics episodes? Unfortunately, yes. I know. You are trying to block it from your (laughs) minds. But there, he would have learned reading, writing, logic, oratory. He would have done military-style physical training and drills. And he probably had an older man who was his, quote-unquote, mentor. Mentor. Air quotes. We're not, yeah, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole because <laughs> we do not condone this kind of relationship. And while it was a respectable and established part of culture back then, it probably, to be honest, fucked up some young boys psychologically. And we yeah. just lack the way to look back and diagnose it. Right. So, um, anyway, he went back to stone cutting and whatever. Years later, Socrates was called up at the age of 37 to military duty, basically a citizen draft. Um, 
male citizens could be called between the ages of 18 and 60. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, he was an infra- infantry man or a hoplite, and he fought as part of a, a phalanx. Phalanx. So, that is not how I would have expected to pronounce that word in the notes that I, I see mean, there. It could be phalanx. <laughs> I yeah. I just no always clue. Uh, yeah whatever. I'll defer uh, whatever you want to pick. <laughs> it, it's also a joint in the finger, so you know. <laughs> um, and last night. I wasn't feeling well, and I just fell down another rabbit hole of information looking up phalanxes and their formation, because as uh, cool as it looks, it's also kind of an unwieldy formation and depends entirely which group of Greek farmers can hold out longer against a bunch of pushing panic, blood, and chaos. Like, that's how you win. Yikes. So I included... Two images I found. One is a um, sort of a live rendition of what it would be like to see this thing coming at you. And it's when you a say live that- rendition, I would call this like 3D model. Perfect. 3D, 3D graphic. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, some, some of them look dead, so they're not really alive. Yeah. It's a 3D <laughs> computer graphic, computer generated. Yeah. Yeah. It probably was for like a game or something too. So maybe, yeah. <clears throat> one of those like world battle simulators. Cause I stumbled across a lot of those when I was trying to find actual images of <laughs> this formation. But the whole thing depended on being able to stay super tightly packed together, like literally advancing, you know shoulder pressed against shoulder and like close on each other's heels so that um, if you scroll down to the next picture, it's a, you know, it's just a series of spears coming at you. And if the first group breaks, you know, down, then you've still got like, it, it, it's a never ending cycle of spears coming at you. And it was pretty effective for a very long time. And, you know, uh, they also had uh, cavalry uh, formations that were usually done in a triangle to sort of be a wedge and protect the phalanx or phalanx from getting attacked on the sides or behind. Interesting. Because that would be the weak point. It's really hard to turn a phalanx all the way around. Right, I bet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not too bad if the other army is using the same formation. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And you can't really be a a standout asshole in a phalanx because everybody's life depends on staying in formation. And yeah, maybe Socrates might have been bitter that he had to provide his own armor and that he couldn't afford to purchase a uh, post as a cavalry officer. But whatever, that's the way the feta crumbles, Socrates. Like, yeah. <laughs> so his he actually saw active duty a couple of times in his military career, surprisingly. Interesting. Uh, the first 
active duty engagement was some battle or other. And the only really important thing to know about it uh, is that while I'm sure he fought bravely in the heat of battle, it was actually on the way back when the troops were ambushed and he rescued someone. (gasps) So, yep. So he saved the man and his armor because armor was really expensive. And that guy was Alcibiades. Who? And I've mentioned (laughs) him a little bit before. Have you? Okay. I have. I have. But he's kind of like this golden-haired playboy politician who gets in trouble a lot because he can't keep his dick in his chitin. Like, (laughs) literally, he fucks everything that moves. And we know know, this how? Uh, because it's documented and he was actually prosecuted for it a couple of times. All right, then. (laughs) He also went around drunkenly smashing the sacred erect dicks off of people's Herm statues that stood as good luck protection in front of their front doors. I think he sounds like a fun guy to hang out with. I know. I'm team Alcibiades because that sounds awesome. I'm trying to think, okay, which of the gods would this most probably be? Loki. Yeah. Right? I mean, (laughs) did you? This is is just. That's something you do. Yeah. This is just Loki showing up in Midgard for a little while on a vacation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all this is. Yeah. I mean, Alcibiades, you know. Like shot to fame in Athens and renown, and then he got kicked out of Athens, and he's like, "Fuck you, I'm going to Sparta." He went to Sparta, and they're like, "Hey, we got Alcibiades." And then a couple Herms later, they're like, "Get out of here!" And he's like, "Fuck you, Sparta. I'm going to Persia." He goes to Persia. Same thing. Eventually, he comes back to Athens, and he's like, "Are you? Did you guys miss me already? Can we? Can we just get over this and move forward?" And Athens is like, "Yeah, okay." This is so Loki. I'm telling you, I know this is it Loki. is. <laughs> maybe this is a crossover episode. Maybe, maybe. So, yeah, Socrates kind of had a thing for Alcibiades. What? He, yeah, yeah. You mean we'll that the into- way you said it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Damn, because he was. Yeah, so. Um, let me just finish this part before we get into Socrates and why he maybe had a thing for Alcibiades. Um, He was called to active duty again five years later. At this point, he would have been around 42. And we're back to talking about Socrates. Yes. Okay. And the Great Peloponnesian War uh, was getting started. And basically, this is an argument that Athens borrowed Sparta's lawn chariot, never gave it back, and, you know... (laughs) In reality, there were like centuries of insults, like the Athenians called the Spartas Spartans meatheads, and the Spartans called the Athenians pansies. Like there wow. were property skirmishes and just like a lot of Game of Thrones intrigue between the two powerful city states. And you know, it's it's a long war, and it's just too bad that nobody comes out well from this except for these two guys, Thucydides and Herodotus, who were basically the first embedded journalists. Mm. And I mean really embedded, like Thucydides was a general in that war. (laughs) 
Okay. And then he later writes about it. Like Thucydides writes one of the most detailed accounts of the Peloponnesian War. And Herodotus writes about it. And he is known as sort of the father of history because he's the first one to be like, okay, hold on, let's leave the gods out of it for a minute and just look at how things actually happened. Oh, so the and rest then, of them were thinking that the gods were involved in? Well, like, in, in, instead of, uh, it, it's not an example with the Peloponnesian War, but like, instead of saying the Trojan War happened because uh, Hera and Aphrodite got in a snit over, you know, who was the more beautiful goddess. And so Hera went and fucked shit up and Aphrodite's like, oh, bitch, you're going to do that? I'm going to do this. And that's what caused the Trojan War, you know. Okay. Herodotus would, if he were writing about it, he would be like, actually, no, these two kingdoms and there was a marriage deal that went sour, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like he would sort of, he was the first to sort of, parse out the mythology from the history. And he was also one of the first to kind of tackle telling the entire story um, in a linear fashion from the far past to present day. Oh, see, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, he was very rational. He's, you know, he's actually not, everybody's like, oh, Herodotus, that sounds like a horrible thing to read, but because it's so dry and blah, blah, blah. But he's actually pretty salty. I like it. Oh, cool. Um, Okay. Yeah. So back to that asshole Socrates. (laughs) So he's fighting the Spartans on the plain of Boeotia. And that's that boring land that, like, flat land where Hesiod is from. And there's a particularly disastrous battle that had Athenians accidentally killing each other. (gasps) And this is one of the earliest recorded friendly fire incidents. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm sure it happened before, but it generally didn't get written down because the people who were involved were executed if they survived. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And who wants to own up to that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So... Thanks to Thucydides and Herodotus, we have records that, oh, yeah, because, uh, you know, it could be because there was no generalized armor, like everybody had their own. Mm, So you couldn't always tell who was on what side. Right. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, He's in some more battles. And then to no one's surprise, the Athenians get their butts kicked by the Spartans and they have to turn tail and retreat to Athens. Yeah. Okay. So some general said something nice about Socrates' bravery in battle and command and leading the orderly retreat, but whatever, I don't care. I think that those words were probably put in his mouth by somebody writing well after everyone was dead. Oh, yeah, you'll see. Yeah, the chroniclers of the life of Socrates have some really vested interests in their viewpoints. Mm. So, after this defeat, 
two years later, again, Socrates is called up. Um, and at this point, he's 48. And the P- Peloponnesian War is still going on. And there's another battle at Amphipolis, wherever that is. And surprise, the Athenians are defeated by the Spartans. Again. And this leads to an armistice between the two powers because, and, you know, it's great because nobody's happy about it, which is probably the best compromise you can get. So armistice, is that like a a truce? It, it's a step beyond a truce. It, okay. It's a, a truce is like, we're going to hold off for now. But an oh. armistice is kind of like, we all agree this is over. Oh, so like calling a tie. Yeah. So like the end of World War I was called an armistice. Okay. If you but, say so. <laughs> yeah. Like I've made uh, no secret that history is not my <laughs> Yeah. So like November 11th is Veterans Day, but over right. in Europe, it's known as Armistice Day. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Because on November 11th at 11 o'clock, it was like the peace treaty was it the Treaty of Versailles? I think, um, so. I think I think it is. Well, memory, not accessing. Um, the peace accord, the armistice was signed, um, ending World War One. So that's oh. yeah. I see the I war never you know. knew the reason that that was on November eleventh. I mm-hmm. just yep. figured it was I mean, I figured there was some reason that it was that date, but I yep. never knew what the reason was. November 11th, 1918. So, yeah. The more you know. Uh, So, basically, the reason I wanted to talk a little bit in depth about all of his battle experience is that, I mean, as much as he's a total asshole, I kind of wonder if Socrates suffered some kind of PTSD Oh, and whether that could have influenced his philosophy or even the aggressiveness of his style of arguing with people, because like he was a dog with a bone, like he could not let a point go. He had to win. Like we all know somebody who has to win every argument. Yeah. And no matter what point you make and you're like, um, but this, I think it goes this way. And they're like, no, it goes this way. Or if they realize you're right, they're like, well, I was told that it would go this way because the blah, 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 blah. Like that's kind of Socrates. Yep. We all know that kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> so, but just like with, you know, the uh, mentor and young boy relationship <clears throat> at the gymnasium, we don't really have a way of looking back and diagnosing PTSD. Right. I mean, there's a $90 book that I was like, oh, I know, just say no. It's called Combat Trauma and the Ancient Greeks. But yeah, whatever. I bought dog food instead this week. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure the dogs appreciate it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So all these like losses and battles and all of this set the stage for Socrates' career as a freeloading philosopher and his eventual execution. Whoa, he was executed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's like a portrait of it. <gasps> oh, hang on. Hold on to your horses. All oh, of them. Shit. Even Loki. <laughs> and Spottlefart. Hold on yeah, to your yeah, Spottlefart. Well, he was being held on too, I think. But <laughs> you know, let's just leave that there. Oh, so, my goodness. Uh, one other point of interest: after he got back from the Battle of Amphipolis, uh, Socrates married a woman named Xanthip or Xanthippe. Okay, reader's choice. And he was in his fifties when they got married, and they had three sons together. Lamprocles, Sophroniscus, and Menexenus. These sound like prescription medications. <laughs> right? If you take Menexenus, consult your doctor. <laughs> Lamprocles may cause side effects. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Side effects of Sophroniscus. That's for sinus infections. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Menexenus is... Uh, for VD, clearly. <laughs> and Lamprocles is some sort of like cholesterol. Oh, I was going to say it's some sort of fungal treatment, but. You know what? It is a fungal treatment. <laughs> Menexinus, you know, Menexinus for health. Like that, that's got to be a. It, it's uh... either a psychiatric or VD, one of those. <clears throat> so Aristotle who came after Plato, who came after Socrates, said that the sons of Socrates grew up to be silly and dull, which probably means that they weren't assholes and led nice, quiet, productive lives. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Now, there's some debate whether Socrates had a second wife named Myrto. Oh. Okay. And as the Peloponnesian War went on, this was actually you know, allowed by law in Athens because the wars had cost the lives of so many young men, there weren't enough to marry one-to-one. -one. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. I mean, heaven forbid they give women the ability to conduct business and live independently and, you know, deal with money and have legal standing, not with just, you know, the status of citizen, but the full rights of male citizens. No, no, it's much better to allow men to marry multiple wives to take care of unmarried girls and widows who would otherwise be destitute, destitute and uncared for because women are the weaker sex. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, we all know, so, Plato was a student of Socrates, and he's the one who wrote, quote unquote, everything his master said down. He also okay. did it like several years after he died, after Socrates died. So, you know, take whatever he writes, kind of with a grain of salt. Um, and there were other people who mentioned Socrates and talked about him. There was a guy named Xenophon. And we don't hear much about Xenophon because Xenophon is kind of like, yeah, he had some interesting things to say, but he was also kind of a jerk. Ah, so he called him out. Oh, yeah. Xenophon claims that Xanthippe didn't approve of Socrates' side gig as a philosopher, complaining that it didn't support the family. Mm. I mean, and in the end, was she wrong? Yeah, no. makes point. No, she wasn't. 
Socrates was, by all accounts, totally disinterested in his wives and sons, hashtag asshole. And Mm. between his tours of duty, he did some work as a stonemason and probably had some income from his farmland. But he also was a lot more interested in tutoring the male youth of Athens in philosophy. Uh, I think that answers a lot of questions. Uh Right? Xenophon claimed that Socrates received payment for these classes. Oh. Plato refutes this and points out that Socrates and his family lived in relative poverty. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe he was a shitty stonemason. I feel like that's probably true. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe none of that money was making it home. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What's he spending this money on? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Socrates probably cultivated the earliest known grunge look. Right. Like move over Kurt Cobain, sit down Seattle. Socrates did it first and worst. (laughs) I mean, the raw material wasn't good to start with. Like Socrates was short and stocky. And he later developed a really fat stomach. He had wide bulging oh, eyes, a snub nose, male pattern balding, and greasy curly hair. And we know all these details, how? Because uh, that is a flattering portrait of him by Plato. I mean, I would swi- uh, swipe right. <laughs> <laughs> I would scroll right. <laughs> so that's the raw material. But why stop there? Socrates leaned into the look, never bathing, walking Gosh. everywhere barefoot. Oh my like, God. Not even open toe sandals. They had sandals. No, barefoot and wearing the same stinky old robe every day. Like he literally oh. claimed to only own one robe. Oh. He must have been just a delight to be around. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> and I included this is a bust of Socrates uh, done about 400 years after he died. Oh my God. I was going to say, I feel like that's probably a very generous uh, representation. I, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not. They uh, gave him the, the Anne of Cleves uh, <laughs> treatment. Exactly. The, the Anne of Cleves treatment. I my don't know God. what that is. Who is- oh, that, that, that is a. Yeah. Um, Anne of Cleves is one of Henry VIII's wives, supposedly the ugliest wife, but like the portrait made her look very uh, beautiful, oh. which apparently she was not. And so he swiped right on Anne of Cleves. Yeah. And when she arrived, <laughs> uh, he was fishing. regret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she survived, though. Like they actually were like friends in the end. It's weird. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, I just, I have no desire to fuck you. And she's like, no, he's, he's, he's very cool. No fucking. It's good. Yeah. I go live over here. Have a nice yeah. life. Oh, my God. <laughs> so if you scroll down again, uh, you know, there's, I found this interesting little photo uh, that kind of compares Zach Galifianakis to Socrates. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Zach Galifianakis has better hygiene and is probably not as big of an asshole as Socrates was. (laughs) And maybe a little more fed. (laughs) Maybe. I I mean, Socrates was chunk. Okay. Now, remember, and I mean, Socrates was held up as like one of the ugliest men in all of Athens. And 
Okay. The ancient Greeks were really big into their looks, right? Got it. You know, the, there there was a lot of oil involved. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of grooming. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah. So, um, Socrates to kind of work our way back to Socrates and Alcibiades. Um, we go back to the fact that, you know, Socrates was known for being very interested in the male youth of uh, Athens. Right. And uh, in the symposium, and this one is about a dinner party that really just won't fucking end, uh, it's said that Alcibiades failed to seduce Socrates what? Because Socrates did not indulge in physical love. What? Bullshit. I'm calling yeah. some PR spin right there. Yeah. <clears throat> Suck I, it, I'm Plato. not buying it. Right? <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> so, like, uh, it, it said that Plato thought Alcibiades was so beautiful and so pure of a youth that, you know, he made it his special mission to keep Alcibiades out of the arms of lust and degeneracy and women. And, you know, he wanted to basically have Alcibiades all to himself. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So I've mentioned Xenophon, now Plato. Those two were the main chroniclers of Socrates' teachings, even though they both wrote everything after Socrates was dead. Um, for example, Socrates died in 399 and Plato wrote the symposium in 385. And this is BC. That's why the numbers are going down. 14 years later. And the symposium is supposed to be an actual dinner party that happened in 416 BCE. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, if you want to pass that off as accurate, that would be great. So Plato writes it. 30 years after it supposedly happened. Yes. Um, no, I'm not buying that entirely. Shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) So not everyone was slavishly devoted to Socrates. Like I said, Xenophon spilled quite a bit more tea, but he lacked any marketing skills and so was edged out by Plato and his flunky Aristotle. Another person who wasn't particularly impressed by the stinky philosopher was Aristophanes, and he is one of the greatest comedic playwrights in history. We've heard that name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Aristophanes wrote and presented his play, The Clouds, at the city Dionysia, and when we get around to re-recording episode 11, you'll hear more about that, in 423 BCE, and this is right after... Socrates and all the other soldiers came back from defeat at Amphipolis. So someone else won the competition for comedy, but no one knows their name. So whatever. Uh, This probably is the only contemporary portrayal of Socrates in his lifetime that we have. And it's not a good one. Oh, nice. So in the clouds, Socrates runs a scam school called the Thinkery. Mm. One character describes it like this, and other gen, if you would. 
Oh, how did I not notice we have readings? Oh, there are readings. In fact, there's going to be a little reenactment between my gens. Oh, lovely. Okay. So this is a character describing the school. Yes. The scam school. Mm -hmm. Okay. That house is a thinkery for clever souls. Some gentlemen live there who argue that the sky is a casserole cover and make us all believe it, and that it covers us all and we're charcoal briquettes. These people train you, if you pay them money, to win any argument, whether it's right or wrong. Wow. (laughs) That's some fucked up shit. No. Yeah. So uh, this next bit, Aristophanes has Socrates explaining why it rains to the audience. And uh, OG, if you'd like to take the part of uh, Strepsiades. Okay. And uh, Jen, other Jen. You're going to make me be Socrates, aren't I'm you? I'm going to make you be Socrates. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. But by the earth is our father Zeus, the Olympian, not a god? Zeus? What? Zeus? Are you mad? There is no Zeus. What are you saying now? Who causes the rain to fall? Answer me that. Why, these, and I will prove it. Have you ever seen it raining without clouds? Let Zeus then cause rain with a clear sky and without their presence. By Apollo, that is powerfully argued. For my own part, I always thought it was Zeus pissing into a sieve. But tell me, who is it makes the thunder, which I so much dread? So, yeah, we're going on to Socrates. Thunder. Have you not understood me then? I tell you that the clouds, when full of rain, bump against one another, and that, being inordinately swollen out, they burst with a great noise. How can you make me credit that? Take yourself as an example. (laughs) (laughs) When you have heartily gorged on stew... (laughs) At at the Panathenea. Panathenea. You get throes of stomach ache, and then suddenly your belly resounds with prolonged rumbling. Yes, yes, by Apollo, I suffer, I get colic. Then the stew sets to rumbling like thunder and finally bursts forth with a terrific noise. At first, it's but a little gurgling pepex, pepex, then it increases pepex, and when I take my crap, why, it's thunder indeed, pepex. Papa packs, Papa Papa packs, just like the clouds. I love how they express themselves. <laughs> Tell me, Kate, promise me it actually says when I take my crap. Yes, it does. <laughs> I really wish that we spoke this way still. <laughs> You can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. It's just one more sentence. Okay. Well then, reflect what a noise is produced by your belly, which is but small. Shall not the air, which is boundless, produce these mighty claps of thunder? So is he saying that thunder is basically like the farts of the clouds? Yes, exactly. I like how he felt we needed that extra detail. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, <clears throat> this... This portrayal is, I mean, honestly, it's not wrong in terms of how Socrates keeps pushing and pushing and leading you with questions and leading you to think a certain way and, you know, sort of teasing that, oh, I don't know, maybe it does this, maybe it does that. Oh, I've led you to the conclusion yourself, you know? Right. This yeah. is called the Socratic method and it's bullshit. Um, <clears throat> so basically Aristophanes is making fun of Socrates as a pompous, irreligious fraud. Yeah. Is he wrong? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, Plato blames this play for laying the groundwork for Socrates' fall from grace. 25 fucking years later, Plato, or oh. should I say Karen... Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, this play, again, it was in 423 BCE, and Socrates was executed in 399. Wow. Uh, that's a long impact of a play. Okay. It had nothing to do with Socrates being a yeah, jerk. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. So Plato Karen goes on to, quote unquote, write down a bunch of different philosophical works attributed to Socrates. And in all of them, we get a smug asshole leading a bunch of leading questions and claiming he knows nothing but dismissing anyone's answers except his own. And that is how you form a cult. I mean, the Socratic method. Wow. And, and basically, you know, Socrates was there during sort of this like golden age of Athenian democracy that started to crumble. And he wasn't exactly pro-democracy. Hmm. Socrates was about a, an oligarchy determined by one's moral and intellectual merit. Okay. And I followed a little bit of that. <laughs> like bas basically in a democracy, all male citizens have the right to vote, like equal voting rights. Right. But an oligarchy is like, um, you know, it's a handful of people at the top with the most money or the most prestige or whatever ah. is the determining factor. Got it. They're the ones who are determining everything and you don't really get a say. Gotcha. So, yeah. Um, so, again, we're like, yay, democracy, but we base a lot of our thought and our teaching methods on Socrates. I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> at least he's more readable than Aristotle, who really needed an editor because when one word would do, he would use five. <laughs> oh, it's wow. not fun or funny. Um, so 
let's take a quick look at the symposium again, which is, you know, one of the books of uh, one of the Plato's transcriptions, if you will. It's a dinner party celebration of the host Agathon's victory at the city Dionysia in 416 BCE. For entertainment, everyone is supposed to give a little speech about the nature of love. I mean, that's what people, you know, talking and little jokes and competitions, that's how you entertained each other at a dinner party when there was no TV, internet, movies, music, you know. Right. The guests take turns. Alcibiades, Aristophanes, Pausanias, I've mentioned him as a, he's like, uh, he's a source I've used multiple times and it's fine. Like they all do their thing. They all have like these crazy little ideas and it's fun. And then it's Socrates's turn. <laughs> At first Socrates starts off by being a total Debbie Downer about how much everyone is drinking and eating. Wow. It's a party for fuck's sake. And he's like, you know, you should water down your wine more because it's, uh, you know, only drunkards and people who are dissipated by lust are the ones who, or are gluttons for food, drink their wine unmixed. And everybody's like, okay, Socrates, we get the point. So after complaining about that, he then is a downer about physical love and the love between a man and a woman and the love between two grown men. In fact, the only love he approves of is the intellectual and spiritual love between an older man and a young boy. Oh, shit. And that, my friends, is the agape, or agape, depending how you want to pronounce it, love that Christianity is so on about. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they reworked the definition so it didn't involve pedophilia, but yeah, that's what it's based on. They could have picked a different word. Right? And we wonder why Western civilization is so fucked up. So Socrates goes on to hog the rest of the dinner party conversation, basically making everyone admit that they were wrong and he is right. Wow. Yeah. This is his Socratic method. And basically... In other works, he's so annoying with it that <laughs> the person he's uh, questioning gets up and walks away, frustrated, and he goes after them, chasing them down. He's like, come back and finish this. Oh <laughs> Just God. like Monty Python. Yeah. Oh. This, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so you can't go on being an asshole forever, though. Socrates spends his day browbeating his students and his knights pissing people off until finally the ruling committee of Athens is like, okay, enough. So at that point, at the end, you know, uh, of the quote unquote fifth century BCE, which would have been, uh, sorry, at around like 401, 400 BCE, it, like things were not good in Athens. <clears throat> okay. You know, they had a lot of military losses. The economy was in the shitter. People were unhappy, uh, you know, crops, had, like just all sorts of bad things. Like Athens was in a bad place. So 
in a fairly politically shrewd move, uh, the governing body of Athens decided to channel everyone's anger towards something other than them. And <laughs> Socrates is the perfect target, literally yeah. killing two birds with one stone. Oh. And, you know, Socrates is brought to trial in 399 at the age of 70. And he is accused of corrupting the youth of Athens. And corrupting doesn't necessarily mean sexually in this. He, it's a corruption of mind and philosophy and belief in the state and piety. Right. So... <clears throat> Uh, part of the charge of impiety comes from his claim that he hears a single overriding spirit or God speaking in his head, you know, telling him things, and that drives him forward in his work. Hmm. It's never good when you hear voices. (laughs) (laughs) Never good when you hear voices. Now, I see the next note. Yeah, go back to PTSD for a second. Yeah. In 1999, an article from the Journal of Clinical Psychology reported that 40% of military veterans experiencing PTSD, especially chronic PTSD, also experienced auditory hallucinations. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. It's, uh... Yeah. And up close and personal fighting in the phalanxes, like, you know, there was no distance, like... you were you were right there facing down the guy you were shoving your spear into. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or you never know because he rarely says anything genuinely personal or truthful. He might have been bullshitting hmm. that he's hearing a a voice of a one god or whatever. And again, this is kind of what leads him and Aristotle to become so closely allied with the foundations of Christianity, even though they're like, uh, no, there's definitely more than one God. Anyway. Hmm. Um, yeah. Athens was like, um, you know, we've had some really bad luck lately and maybe it's because you're like saying there's only one God, you know, like uh, uh, Zeus, Hera, Athena, Apollo, Hermes, like, eh, I don't know. I don't think they're going to like that. Now <clears throat> we come to my favorite part of the trial. Socrates simply cannot resist being a smug asshole. Like his life is literally on the line and he can't stop tossing out one-liners. For example, after denying that he's an atheist, he then proclaims he's God's gift to the Athenians. Wow. I have to believe in God because I'm God's gift to the Athenians. Like that's literally what he says. Hmm. And he wishes the Athenians would better recognize, you know, how much work he does to help them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Not an abusive cult tactic at all. Um, Thankfully, a quorum majority of the citizens voted that he was guilty as charged. Or maybe they just were, like, really tired of him yapping on. So hearing the verdict, Socrates proposed his own sentence. Free meals several times a day in recognition of the great benefits he brings to Athens and its citizens. Oh my God. 
the jury was like, um, okay, here's a cup of hemlock free on us. Have fun. Is that a poison? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll get into that. So Socrates' disciples visited him in prison and were like, bro, we bribed the guards. We can get you out. You can go into exile and we'll follow later with the luggage. (laughs) Socrates was like, nah, I'd rather die a fucking martyr. And why are you all crying like women? He literally scolds them for being sad that he was about to be executed. And he's like, don't cry like women. Wow. Yeah. And now we come to the famous painting. Uh Uh-oh. I have not yep. scrolled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, scroll. This is like in every book, history book. Ever. Yeah, it's like, first of all, he's way too clean. It. Okay, I got to zoom this in. This yeah. is too small on my screen. <laughs> he's way too clean. Um, he's the one sitting up in the middle? Yeah. With his hand in the air pointing? Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, the uh, cup is the hemlock. Okay. And it's, uh, you know, the thing about that is actually when he was given it, he was standing up and he was supposed to walk around with it after drinking it to help it take effect more quickly. Okay. So he walks around the jailer, the executioner is like, walk around until your legs get numb and then lie down and the hemlock will finish off the job. And Socrates is like, sounds good. Literally. He's like, yeah. So you want to guess the last words of Socrates? Like what kind of wisdom did he leave us with in his final moment? I, I, I have no clue. And I'm, I'm not coming up with anything. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't want to spoil it. She, yeah, I figure you know the answer. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, he said, Crito, and Crito was a friend of his, we owe a cock to Asclepius. Pay it and don't forget. Oh, shit. <laughs> and then he died. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, sure, he could be saying he forgot to sacrifice a rooster to the god of healing Asclepius, but... I'm sorry. I've read too many things to be like, oh, we owe a cock to somebody. Okay. Yeah. But whatever. Socrates I mean, this was an is a- like, like, don't forget to pay the light bill. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And Socrates uh, was an asshole and he might be the father of Western civilization's philosophy, but that doesn't make it any better. No. So... The fucking end. Wow. 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 And we'll be back uh, after this quick break for questions and shit where I'm going to put OG on the spot a little bit because we're going to talk about Hemlock. Oh, great. (laughs) Now return to the Drunk Mythology Gals for part two. Questions and shit. So I actually, when I was listening to the audiobook of truth and other lies. Yes, yes, yes. I had forgotten that there was a point where uh, there's an argument about the use of hemlock. Yep. Medicinally. (laughs) 
I, I, this is so, I had no clue this was coming up. I'm listening to the audio book myself. And this is the part that I heard about an hour ago. Oh gosh. Wow. It's really fresh for you. <laughs> I had no clue what was coming, but this is the part I That's heard. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Hemlock is a member of the parsley family along with carrots and fennel. It's also known as poison parsley. So other mm -hmm. Jen, you now have a oh. fabulous insult yeah. to use when you <laughs> offered a dish with parsley. I use parsley. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of facts written down here, but oh, gee, I know you did a lot of research to try. I did. Like, I mean, that chapter actually like. I spent the most time researching for that, which was just hilarious. It was hilarious to me. It was like, wow, I spent like probably five hours trying to come up with like this recipe because mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a legitimate recipe that I found from a yeah. book from that time period wow. that they used for pain. And mm -hmm. so it was kind of interesting to see how they would also just create these things. And I think the one that was from like Paracelsus yeah. that came up with this recipe and yeah, you had like this draft of laudanum, which mm -hmm. I didn't even realize laudanum was that old. Yeah, but but yeah, um, but hemlock was used to help with pain, but then very very little. Like they knew at least how much you could be given, and it was always like 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 in a liquid, like a draft already. Yeah, they had probably boiled the leaves or something. Yeah. Um, and it was an interesting detail that I read was that hemlock does smell like mice. Like it's a very odd odor. It's not a nice smell, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. See, you all think I make this stuff up. I don't. I know you don't. Oh, no, no. I was like, girl did her research there. Yeah. And I actually had no idea it was used as an analgesic. Like, I, yeah. I thought it was just straight up poison. But yeah, yeah. I heard no, that. You... And I was like, oh, Jen researched that. <laughs> I, I I know this. This is so good. Yeah. I'm glad. Like, yeah, I was, I forget, I was between like three poisons that I knew could be like used for pain management. And then I know most people recognize hemlock as poison mm -hmm. because I wanted to be kind of a shock Yeah, for a modern audience. But yeah. Yeah. I had, so it's fun. I had no clue. Yeah. I, yeah. So it's, hemlock poisoning is no joke. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, the plant has some nasty alkaloids that uh, basically paralyze your nerves and muscles working its way into your organs and that your heart and your lungs, like, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, and, and that's why in the smallest amount it can be used as a pain reliever, but damn. Mm, yeah. Right, right, uh, what risk? Right. <laughs> oh my God. You really have to know the dosage. It's yeah. really scary. So, um, I'm just, I need to look up a, uh, picture of hemlock because it yeah i just did that and it, when i saw a, like the leaves are not that big no they're it not. only takes six to eight leaves to produce a yeah. uh, fatal respiratory failure in adults and see the other i remember thing i was going to maybe use for that was actually mandrake mm -hmm. yeah which is also used for pain but also can be poisonous. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, like, uh, hemlock has such a, yeah. you know, it was the original Kool-Aid. <laughs> e exactly. Hemlock yeah. is a bit, is, is the cool poison. 
Wow. Yeah. So, you know, death can take anywhere from 30 minutes to a few hours, depending on the dose. And my guess is the Athenians were like, let's get this done. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, in the in the description, Socrates is told to walk around until he gets tired and then lie down. And he did this and he's still fucking talking. Uh, but this probably didn't happen. Um, because while there does seem to be consciousness and awareness of what is happening to you, there's also drooling, convulsions, difficulty in breathing, just general unpleasantness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So when I looked up the pictures, um, it was kind of alarming to me for a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys, this, this plant that it, made me think of I looked at the pictures and I was like oh my god that looks familiar so mm -hmm. I open up another tab and I google Queen Anne's lace plant oh mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly yeah I grew up I well grew up I spent a good eight years of my youth up in Ohio outside of Cleveland and Queen Anne's lace as I mm -hmm. knew yeah. it to be called grew wild all over like yeah you fight same. the dandelions and you fight the queen anne's lace mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i would i learned at a young age that you could pluck them and put them in a glass of water with food coloring and within a matter of minutes ish probably like within 30 minutes tops the flower then takes on the color of the food coloring Neat Same little with hemlock. Neat little science trick. And the flowers, to me, my non-botany eyes, they look identical or pretty mm -hmm, damn yeah. close. Yeah. I keep going back and forth between the two tabs of images and I'm like, holy shit. What are the chances? Where does hemlock grow? What are the chances? Everywhere. And it can... And Produces yeah, as many you, as 35,000 seeds in a season. Yeah. And when you look at the species names and you get into the the, the Latin or whatever root mm -hmm. names, they come from the same family, these two plants. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. What are the chances I had hemlock in the house in that glass full of food coloring? Well, you actually probably didn't because it would have had uh it e even touching it would have produced some sort of irritation especially oh. you're still a alive child. jen that that's how you know yeah <laughs> so you don't even want to touch this no you don't even want to okay. touch this if you can help it okay L like right. it's terrible genuinely yeah. terrible yeah. Um, that's why I had everyone freak out in that chapter. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, handling it, preparing it. Yeah, that everybody should go check out Truth and Other Lies for the yeah. hemlock moment. <laughs> yeah, and all of the dosages are correct. It's really a, an authentic recipe that wow. I do not recommend making. <laughs> yeah, no. we do not endorse uh, or condone the use of hemlock. No. There is Tylenol. No. Just saying. Yeah, we There's have Tylenol now. Yeah, right. Aleve, they have. Yeah. So, um, 
in conclusion, I just want to say, can you imagine like it it was would have been just awful being around Socrates. I mean, aside from the fact Ugh. that he stank. Like yeah. you roll up to the fast food souvlaki place and they literally did have fast food like counters including like grilled meat on sticks that you could buy and it was like, you know, uh, I'm just thinking about not bathing at a time before toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the man behind the counter is like, so uh, what do you want? Yeah. And Socrates replies with like, what is want? And then goes on to torment oh, the poor guy for the next four hours debating the point. And nobody gets any souvlaki. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they just go on to the next stand and they're like, let's just get a smoothie. <laughs> but I didn't say the name. No, you didn't. <laughs> Fenrir pops in with a nice little smoothie with hemlock and hands it straight to Socrates. <laughs> there you go. The executioner's name was Fenrir. He's like, this is I for the greater this. good. And and he, and he used vegan ingredients. Right? <laughs> well, it is a vegan drink, you know. Yeah, it's a vegan poison. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh that's great that's great okay so yeah as disturbing as this was i i can rest easy now i was not bringing hemlock into the house as a little kid oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah and yeah i can just yeah if these people that i work with i'm just gonna start calling them socrates 2.0 mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I can supply you with all kinds of names. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, none of us next, are drunk. We've all had none just of, <laughs> Yeah. None of us are drunk. I've made it all the way through. <laughs> so yay for me without any side effects from this bug right now. So proud of you. Yeah. Good job. Hey, <laughs> I, had, I had to do it, man. <laughs> Look, it was the anniversary of killing off one of my least favorite philosophers. Like, what's not to love about it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and as a reward, guess what next week is? What is it? Thor is goes it? fishing. Yes! Finally! <laughs> yeah, where you get to see Tyr's grandmother with 900 heads. Ah. Oh. I don't know. Pixar it didn't happen. <laughs> I like again. All they say is she was ugly, which I feel like nine hundred heads would make would make you more than ugly. So I mean, they're being again very nice. The, um, what was the, the she name must have you, been a good cook. What was uh, that name you said? And something the the king, the ugly wife for the king. Oh, huh? You mm. guys were saying when you were talking about Socrates was being ugly and the bust was oh, like Anna oh, yeah. Anna yeah. Cleves. Oh, Anna Cleves. Sorry. Yeah. I, Grandma Tear of Cleves. Maybe I should be drunk. Ignore me. I, you know, <laughs> whenever you end up dealing with Greek philosophy, either being <laughs> drunk, you go in either being drunk or you come out feeling drunk. Like, that's just the way it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thor goes right. fishing. Finally. <laughs> so, in the meantime... 
if you want to at me about Socrates, you can subscribe yourselves to our social media scrolls on Instagram at Drunk Mythology Gals. On Twitter at Drunk Myth Gals. On Facebook at Drunk Mythology Gals. On the web at DrunkMythologyGals.com. On Patreon at Patreon.com slash Drunk Mythology Gals. Or send us an email that we won't check at gals at drunkmythologygals.com. <laughs> and special thanks as always to Sound Effects Kim for putting the top spin on our sound. Thanks again to all of you for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if you have that one really annoying relative that collars the conversation and tells everybody that they should have their opinions and invites you to express those opinions. But guess what? You're wrong. You're always wrong. You will always be wrong because even though he doesn't have any idea what he's talking about, he's right. And then you just push the uh, uh, cup of vegan hemlock over in his directions. Finally, always remember, if the gods can behave badly and philosophers, then so can you. 